The story I will share with you today is that of opportunity, about a man that came for gold, but was given the grunt job of building wheelbarrows. He didn't just do his job. He made sure he was the best at that job than anyone else. He then saved up his money and invested in a business with his family, which was extremely successful. And even though he became extremely wealthy, he was humble and never forgot his old friends in the little old town of Placerville. In this episode of Ricky's Historical Tidbits, I will share with you the life of Placerville's wheelbarrow Johnny, John Studebaker. This is Ricky's Historical Tidbits Podcast, and this is Ricky Mortensen. The story of John Studebaker begins as a young man in Indiana. He had four brothers, Clement, Harry, Peter, and Jacob. The five brothers grew up moving around a few different states, but settling in South Bend, Indiana. Their dad was a wagon maker, and so he taught his children all the skills needed to do that kind of work of building a wagon. But John, he was an explorer. John wanted to head west to the great gold land of California, where gold is so plentiful, not a single soul is poor. There's more gold on the ground than dirt, he thinks. All you have to do is survive the trek west. John, at 19 years old, sets out his plans and built himself a wagon in about 10 days, then went to a wagon train later and offered the wagon for a safe trip and three meals a day to California. And the man obliged. The trip in total took five months and eight days, and it wasn't easy in the slightest. John originally had $65 worth of gold on a belt that he wore so that he would be set for a while when he got to California. However, he didn't plan for his greed to get to the better of his intelligence. The wagon train stopped in a place called Council Bluffs, Iowa. There, for three days camped out, John found himself talking to some of the permanent residents of this town. Three men called Monte Sharpers and Capers, which basically just means gambling crooks, people who cheated in cards to win lots of money from gamblers. They told him the secrets and told him the way to win, which got him thinking, well, why bother going to California when I could win all that gold I want here? So he went all in and took off his belt and threw it on the table, knowing he couldn't possibly lose because the Sharpers told him the tricks. Well, somehow the tricks didn't work, or maybe he was just unlucky. He lost all his money. It wasn't until he reached the Carson River that he was able to get some more money. He jumped into the Carson River to uh, get some cattle that got stuck. And in return for this, he was given a $20 gold piece, which by the time he got to Hangtown dwindled to 50 cents piece. Hangtown is the name of the modern-day Blasterville. It was named that because of the hangings on a big oak tree in town. Hangtown, at this point in time, was one of the biggest cities in the state of California and was in competition for the state capital, along with San Francisco, Sacramento, Chinese Camp, and as we all know, Sacramento ended up the winner. Once the wagon train arrived in Hangtown, a big group of people showing up and asking about life back east from whence they came. One man began asking around. Is there a wagon maker around you? Pretty quickly, hands began to point 
to young John Studebaker. The man walked up to John and introduced himself. My name is H.L. Hines. I'm the blacksmith, and I have a good job for a man who wants work. Want the job? Studebaker was set on making it rich and gold, looked at the man straight on and told him, I came to California to dig gold. Mr. Hines huffed and turned around, disappearing into the crowd back to his shop. A hangtown man walked up to John after having eavesdropped and told John, I don't know you from Adam, but I can't help giving you a piece of advice. Take that job and take it quick. You'll have plenty of time to look for gold. There are hundreds of disappointed gold seekers for everyone who strikes pay dirt. They haven't a penny. Some of them are hungry. You're lucky to be offered a job five minutes after you get here. Grab it, boy. John was smart and quickly took this advice and ran down the street looking for the man he only met for five seconds and caught up to him. Said he reconsidered and he wanted the job. Can you make a wheelbarrow? I sure can. Uh, that is, I can try. John was then given the job with a handshake and a nod, and then was led to the smithy shop where he would work. The job was to repair picks, pans, and stages too, but the cash cow was in those wheelbarrows. The building was big enough to live in and work. John's bed was a simple bunk made of coffee sacks. The building itself was built into a hill and was made out of logs. And there was a simple stove in the middle for cooking and heat. On his first day, John was given the task of making a wheelbarrow. He had never made one before, but how hard could it be? He built wagons. Surely he could build a wheelbarrow. After two long days of working, he presented it to his boss, Mr. Hines. Hines stared at him, puffed as pipe before breathing out and saying, What do you call that? John, knowing it wasn't great looking but acting confident, said, It's a wheelbarrow. Mr. Hines then spits and yells, That's a hell of a wheelbarrow. Try again. After saying this, he began to turn around, and then John spoke up. You asked me if I was a wagon maker. I said I was. I didn't say I was a wheelbarrow maker. But I think I can do better on the, on the next one. Go ahead. That was all Mr. Hines said with a little smile on his face. John worked hard and made a better one, and another, and another, and soon he was known throughout the town as Wheelbarrow Johnny. He made the best wheelbarrows that you could possibly buy, and he made one each day. The wheelbarrows sold for $25 a pop. 15 went to Hines, 10 went to Studebaker. Hines wasn't just a boss, he was a mentor, and encouraged John to save the money in the bank, as he himself did. So John followed suit. The bank they trusted with all their money was a bank called Adams Express Company. And after a couple of years, Studebaker had $3,000 saved up, and Hines had $22,000 in his bank. Luckily for Hines, he was a little bit of a snoop, and found out that the bank was probably going to fail. And you don't trust a failing bank. As you probably know, when a bank failed in those days, you lost all the money. It wasn't insured by the government, you know, the FDIC. It was a full faith in the bank kind of deal. And one night, Mr. Hines hid in the bushes behind the bank, and sure enough, at two in the morning, 
the bankers moved the gold. Hines followed them to a house where an old man named Joe Douglas lived. Hines watched as they put the money into Joe's safe. Hines quickly made his way back to the shop where he woke John up and told him what was going on. They needed to write up an attachment, which is a legal term that means the legal seizing of property to pay a debt. They wrote this attachment up and brought it to the sheriff as soon as the rooster crowed. They all went to Joe Douglas's house where they made the accusation, but Joe, of course, denied it all. However, the sheriff checked where Hines said the money was, and sure enough, it was all there. Hines and Studebaker got all their money back in full, but the rest of the people who trusted the bank only got a small percentage back. 15 to 30% is the estimate. Hangtown was, like most towns in those days, wooden, and soon a tornado-like fire took out the town. Hangtown had a fire engine, but it was no match for the fire. It was abandoned, and when they abandoned the engine, John ran to his shop to get whatever he could, but the fire had already taken over. The people camped out in the hills that night. In rebuilding the town, it was also rebranded. Hangtown burned down, and Placerville was built. Part of the rebuilding resulted in the cutting down of the namesake tree. Where an ice cream shop stands today was the spot where many a man were hung. John Studebaker was the man who chopped down that tree for a hotel owner named Mr. Herrick. The taking down of the tree was kind of divided in the town. Some were fine with it, while others, not so much. This poem was written in favor of keeping it. Herrick spared the tree. Let not its branches fall. Here let it always be. A warning to us all, for it was in 49, when our gold town yet was young, three men for murder vile upon that tree were hung. Yes, on this same old tree, these miscreants met their doom. Keep it for all to see, as a grave tree over their tomb. This tree let always stand, for tis of great renown. Then, Herrick, stay thy hand, spare this relic of our town. Soon enough, John had saved up enough money and was still wanting to try his hand at gold mining, so he went out as a part-time miner. Uh, he, like most, didn't do well, but he had some gold to show off to his family back home. It was about this time where he was sent a letter from his brother, Clem. Uh, he wrote to tell John that a few of his brothers had started a wagon building company and smith shop. They were doing okay, but they were making only about one wagon a month since they were a small operation. Clem mentioned a few times in the letter that capital was needed to make the company great. He had dreams of building not just 12 a year, but hundreds. John stayed until the spring of 1858. He then got on board a ship in San Francisco, which sailed south to Panama and on to New York. And that's when he made his way to Indiana from there. Once he arrived, he bought in for $3,000, which was about half the company. The Studebaker family were Dunkards. Dunkards are similar to Baptists in Christianity, but in particular, Dunkards are opposed to war and taking of any legal oaths. So they were not in favor of any war, 
But the Civil War wasn't inevitable, so they might as well try to make some money off of it. The Studebaker brothers in 1857 got a government contract to make wagons. The next year was when John arrived. By late 1860, South Carolina seceded from the United States. The Civil War soon began the next year. Throughout the war, the Studebakers supplied about 6,000 vehicles, some carriages, some wagons, and some ambulances. The carriages they made were for Abraham Lincoln, Ulysses S. Grant, Rutherford B. Hayes, and Benjamin Harrison. The United States remembered them for the next war, the Spanish-American War. Uncle Sam asked them for 500 wagons in 36 hours, and they had it done in just 24 hours. John, as the head of the company, saw that automobiles would soon be the future, so the Studebakers made a steam-powered wagon in 1898, but it didn't really catch on. Then the electric car in 1902, but again, that didn't really catch on. Finally, 1904, the gasoline-powered car. And it was a bold move, as they were still making about 75,000 wagons a year at this time, but John transitioned the company to car building. As all the other wagon makers soon went bankrupt, Studebaker soared. Then, in 1910, John Studebaker sent a letter to the city of Placerville telling them that he wants to come back and visit someday and hang out with his old mining buddies. John arrived by ship in San Francisco and got on board a steamer ship up the river to Sacramento and then got into one of his fancy new cars and drove that into Placerville. A big old group of people were waiting for him and signs that read, We're glad you came back were everywhere. The streets were all decorated and when he got to the Ohio house, he climbed out and immediately saw an old friend. Hello, Newt. You around here yet? Yes, I'm here, but they call me Judge now, Mr. Studebaker. You see, I'm the Justice of the Peace. John laughed and reminded him of all the times he and another guy would fight in an old-fashioned road rage. John then went on to talk to a few more men before asking for a man who used to work for him, a man named Mike Mayers. In the time John worked there, he became a boss himself, and his employee was Mike, a man who, at this point, was old and blind. John was taken to the house of his old friend. Is that you, Mr. Studebaker? Yes, it's me, Mike. John then walked up to his old friend laying in bed with his wrinkled old hand reaching out to greet his old boss. They held hands for a minute. Then John simply said that he had to go. Goodbye, Mike. Goodbye, Wheelbarrow. After this, he was driven around town reminiscing on things of the past until it was time for the banquet. People brought all kinds of things to show him, including a bunch of wheelbarrows he once made. He even bought one of the first wheelbarrows he ever made. He then went to his old shop where the workers there presented him with the same hammer he used all those years ago. He and his old buddies talked all day, reliving the good old days, including the time John sparred with a popular boxer, Yankee Sullivan. Then they talked about the time that Mr. Hines saw a Chinaman getting beat up, and so Mr. Hines ran in and beat up the guy saving the Chinaman. Then they talked about the time where some women miners had their claim jumped by some men, and they got the men's tools, threw them into the river, and told them to get, and they got. Soon the banquet came and went, and so did Mr. Studebaker back to his home. John died a few years after that visit to Placerville, 
The company went bankrupt during the Depression and was held by a string until it finally died in 1966. Today, John is honored in the Automobile Hall of Fame. He has a plaque where his shop was in Placerville. You can find one of his wheelbarrows and a wagon at the El Dorado Historical Museum in Placerville. The El Dorado County Fair has the John Studebaker Wheelbarrow Races, and on Main Street in Placerville is Miners on Main, which is a scavenger hunt where at each spot you learn about a person who had some sort of impact on the city of Placerville. I will leave you with this quote by Mr. Studebaker. I probably wouldn't have made my start if it had not been for my experience with you. I've always appreciated your friendship. Struggling together as we learned, life is what you get out of it. And what you get out of it is what you put into it. We learn to work hard, treat everyone equally, and deliver more than we promised. That's it for this episode. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful I'm a 49er in Hangtown, here for a day or two. Need a wheelbarrow to push around the dirt I'm a-digging through. Well, there's a wheelbarrow, it's the best by far, they say. He makes them deep and narrow, the wheelbarrow Johnny Way. And I'll push my Studebaker up and down the hill. Gonna push my Studebaker from the mine to the ten-cent mill. Gonna push my Studebaker from that ten-stamp mill. Gonna push my Studebaker full of gold to Placerville. He moved back to Indiana and he's making wagons fine. For the trip to California, got a whole assembly line. Well, my son is a moving west, needs the best dang wagon made. Well, son, there's one that makes the test, the wheelbarrow Johnny Way. And you can ride that Studebaker up and down the hills. You can ride that Studebaker, no finer wagon built. Oh, John, he didn't make her, no wagon built as well. Gonna ride that Studebaker all the way to Placerville. to take the wheel to visit me he'll set forth in a brand new automobile well grandson what you need is the best car that is made it's agreed no car exceeds the wheelbarrow johnny way and you can drive that studebaker up and down the hill you can drive that studebaker no finer car is built oh john he didn't make her no car is built as well Gonna drive that Studebaker all the way to Placerville.
push my Studebaker up and down the hill. Gonna ride that Studebaker, no finer wagon built. Old John, he didn't make her, no car is built as well. Gonna drive that Studebaker all the way to Placerville.